The contents of this podcast are provided for general information and educational purposes only and do not constitute investment, accounting, legal, tax or other professional advice. Welcome to the Money Magnet Podcast, helping you attract and keep a fortune that counts with co-hosts self-made money magnet Steve McKnight and esteemed journalist Rowan Wen. Hi everyone, my name's Steve McKnight and a big special hello to the Money Magnet podcast. I'm joined in the studio by Rowan Wen. Hello Rowan. G'day Steve, how are you? Fan-fairy-tastic. Now Rowan, why don't we start off with the story of how you and I met? Excellent. Well, it was a little while ago now, it was about a decade and a half and you just put out your first book, I think, um, Zero to 130 Properties in 3.5 Years. And I was a reporter for a TV show that's been cancelled now called Today Tonight, which is one of the commercial TV shows. And we were doing a story on your book. And I was told that despite the fact that I didn't want to do it, I had to go and meet you and do a story about your book. Indeed. Now, was the show cancelled because of you? Is that No, is no. I, think I was off the show when it got cancelled. <laughs> Thank <laughs> so you, God. So you like to tell I think people. it was cancelled for quality reasons in the end, but uh, it was still rating well. My recollection of the story is not to 130, as I call it, had just come out and the publicist at Wiley, who were the publishers of the book, she came out and she said, oh, it's really good news. We've got this gig with Today Tonight. They're going to put you on TV. It's going to be great for the book. And when the day came to do it, you and I were supposed to go up in the car together. Mm, That's right. I remember that. But it didn't work out that way. No, I didn't uh, want to have you in our car. And I think I told you that. I think I was quite rude, wasn't I, from memory? I just thought, honestly, I thought you were going to be a shonk, which is what we call dodgy people in television. Because it's one of those words that doesn't actually have a legal meaning, but it sounds bad. He's a shonk. (laughs) Yeah. And so you didn't want to drive up to Ballarat because that's where we're going to do some filming. And I was going to meet you there. And the reason I remember that is because I left my normal glasses. I've got prescription (laughs) glasses and prescription sunglasses. I left my normal glasses at home. I was so nervous. And I had to meet you wearing sunglasses. And I thought, oh, for sure he's going to think I'm a dodgy wealth creation shyster. Mate, I thought you were Stevie Wonder. (laughs) It was quite a concern. (laughs) Um, Who is this guy? But in the years since, you and I have got to know each other a lot better and we've also become mates, and that's the genesis of this podcast. Correct, and it turned out you went dodgy at all. Who knew? So the book, mate, the one thing about the book is I didn't expect your first book to go so well, and you've written a couple since then, haven't you? And they've all been bestsellers? Yeah, the books, I never wrote the books to make money. I wrote the books to try and bring awareness to different concepts. And Nought to 130 did well, did well because of the TT, Today, Tonight stories that we did together back in the day. And it, I think it also did well because it captured people's minds that, wow, there's an, another way of making money that didn't involve having to work 40, 50 years. And one of the reasons I think it worked well too is because you were willing to tell your story personally too and explain to people that you could relate to them because of your kind of origin story, we'd say in the media, but the reason why you do what you did. And maybe we could talk about that because I think understanding where you come from with your view of money might help the audience to the podcast understand where we're going. I had this vision many years ago of a game of rugby, which is strange because I don't play rugby. I hardly ever watched a game of rugby, but I had this vision of running down the rugby field trying to score a try and God was going to throw me the ball and God said, I'm going to give you the ball, but you're not to score the try. And I'm like, well, what am I supposed to do then? And he goes, I'm going to pass the ball to you and your job is to pass the ball to someone else. And I've taken that metaphor for life that... 
I seem to have a bit of a gifting around making, managing and multiplying money. But it's not necessarily for my benefit in isolation. My job is to make the money to pass the money on. I'm a conduit of financial blessing, either through education or the causes that I support. And I think that different attitude towards money, rather than just, you know, let's go and make, forgive the French, a shit ton of money for the sake of making that much money, is my difference. I'm about giving purpose to your money to give purpose to your life. Now, imagine I'm the reporter back in 2003, and I'm told to do a story about a guy who's telling you how to get rich, and he's a Christian, because you just mentioned the God thing, right, which is very important to you. And I'm like, how can he have those two things in his life at the same time? They've got to be mutually exclusive. So I I thought you were going to be shonky for that reason. It does make sense. And besides, you know, in the world of journalism, you're always being hit up, I guess, for people that want some free PR. And I don't doubt that you've met a lot of dodgy people in your time. So what was the driving force then behind, apart from the the dream, obviously, but, you know, your origin story, did you have a lot of money as a kid? What was your backstory? No. Dad sold trucks all his life for commission, very low base salary and, and really made all his money on commission. So it was sometimes a feast, more likely a famine. Dad, as I talk about in the book, Money Magnet was known as Graham McTight by his mates because he was very, very tight with money. And he was that way, I think, because he was never sure whether the next month was going to be feast or famine. When we were kids and we went to McDonald's, we could have a burger and fries, no drink, no dessert. There was no money for that. And my context and the construct of the way that I view wealth is heavily clouded by my experience growing up. But you didn't have that fear of money that people have. Like a lot of people who have scarcity in their lives early on are very fearful of money. That didn't happen with you? Kind of the opposite happened? I don't know. I, right from an early age, I think I had good money habits because dad was quite smart with the money. I mean, he was raising three kids and he never made enough to really have a lot. It all just went in running the household. Like today, when the cost of everything's so much, there's, it's very hard to have something left over to do something with because the cost of living is so high. Well, it's not a new phenomenon. That's always been that way. And in the midst of that, you've got to try and upskill so that you can keep more of the money that you make. But my situation and, and fear around money, right from when I first started work, I had a, a separate savings account. I'd put a little bit of money in and then I some term deposits, some share investing. And then later on in life, when I realized I didn't want to be an accountant anymore, that's when I got into real estate investing. And look at what's happened. It's been amazing. Yeah. Well, I retired when I was 32, retired in the sense of no longer having to work for money, but I still am very active in a lot of different projects and really enjoy it. So you don't need to write another book or a bestseller, but you have done. Why did you write Money Magnet? What was the thinking behind that? Well, Money Magnet's a prequel really to Nought to 130 because many people would come across my desk or come across me in a financial situation where it needed fixing. And what I wanted to try and do is help people because it's very hard to invest out of a financial crisis, the mindset and the motivation and the whole energy behind it's wrong. What you're better off doing is learning how to make, manage and multiply your money before you start investing not as your vehicle to rescue yourself. And that's what Money Magnet's about. It's If you had a, an uncle or an auntie or a person in your family who was quite financially successful and they could give you some tips, would you want to know what they were? And if the answer is yes, well, then this is the book, which is a culmination of my experience in being financially successful. And the podcast will cover some of the stuff as well. So we're going to break down some of these issues in different episodes moving forward. Yeah. So it's in the book and then there's sort of a more expanded discussion perhaps in the podcast too. Well, absolutely. The podcast gives us a chance to flesh out some of the concepts in the book and make them real. 
And we'll invite people if they've got questions to email those questions. It's simple podcast at moneymagnet.au. And while we can't give advice because we're not licensed to give advice, we can definitely build in case studies and address principles from an education point of view. All right. So you talked before about having some meaning with you here to pass that ball again. The profits from the book are not going to feed your pockets, right? Absolutely not. I didn't write the book to make money. I, I wrote the book to help people. So not 10% of the royalties, 100% of all the royalties I get from this book are all being funneled into a give back project, a legacy project, as we talk about in the book called Tree Change. Yeah, and tell the folk at home about Tree Change because I think it's sensational. Well, you've been there. So it might be better, Rowan, if you tell people about what you saw when you went out to the property. Well, the property itself is in Bindi and it's absolutely beautiful. And what, what I think you're trying to do there is try and reforest or regreen the area. It's kind of an example to everybody in Australia, federal government, politicians, down to just regular farmer folk and people in the city about what we can actually do. And look, if you sit around waiting for somebody else to solve the problem, it's not going to get solved. It never is. It never works like that. So I guess this was more of your way of showing that things can be done if you take action, which is not a bad sort of thing to reflect on when you look at the book and financial freedom and and the pursuits that you're trying to teach people about as well. Would that be a fair assessment? I would say to people, be the change you want to be. And I'm passionate about how we can be better with the way that we manage the environment. I'm doing a diploma of land conservation and ecosystems management. And what I did is I went and bought 1,500 acres of cleared land. It's not viable for farming. It's too steep and rocky. That's important. So it's not like you're taking farmland that could be used for farming and turning it into this forested area, using stuff that can't be used for that to try and regreen Australia. And planting trees, what's more simple and basic than that? We're changing the world one tree at a time. Beautiful. Now, I've read your book so far, the new book, or at least the galleys of it, which is fantastic. There's a lot of Steveisms in it. Tell me about that and why are they there? I mean, I love them, but people sort of go, they're a little bit quirky. Oh, they're a little bit quirky. And the risk is people will think they're self-indulgent because I'm quoting myself. The only reason we're really doing it is because the permissions to quote from other people was too hard to get across the line. <laughs> you, you can quote dead people without having to pay them or seek their permission, but if they're still alive, it's- They a- do haunt you though. They come back. <laughs> <laughs> I've been known over the years for coming up with a saying or two, which a friend, Rainer Hanel, said, hey, these are, are Steveisms. I regard them as Steveisms, little sayings that you come up with that are quirky but memorable, and it's a good little icebreaker to start each chapter. And what do people get for each episode? Will you break it down per theme or chapters? How's it going to work? With the podcast episode, the idea is that we'll delve deeper into one issue in particular in one of the chapters. And we'll flesh it out and we'll try and bring it to life. What do you think people are going to learn listening to the podcast that they wouldn't know now? Well, lots. The practical application of how to apply a theory doesn't sound particularly sexy, but that's where the rubber meets the road. It's one thing to have an idea. It's another thing to do something about it altogether. And so what I want the podcast to do is it can be separate to the book for sure, but ideally someone might be reading the book and go, I I wish Steve had have written some more about this saying or topic or concept. And that's what we can flesh out in the podcast. So not only do we have an agenda that we want to get through, if someone has a topic that they wish I had have covered in more detail, they can email us and say, hey, tell us more about dot, 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 and we'll cover it. And over the years, as you've mentored people and taught these things to people, how have you got them from being a book reader to being somebody who actually actively gets involved and tries these things out. Yeah, we used to say, well, how do you turn a maybe into a must? That was the catchphrase. Because a lot of people have a lot of things that 
they should do, and that's the saying, people shrill over themselves all the time. I should, I should, I should, I should, I should. Whereas what I tried to do is say, is this a must or only just a maybe? And what we need to do in order to cross over to change is to turn our maybes into musts. And we have to find a compelling reason to get out of a comfort zone in order to make that change. And the podcast will cover that and give practical ways for people to do that, will it? Well, now you've mentioned it. Let's okay. put it on the list. I was going to say, I'll write it down and make a note. Fantastic. All right. Well, if you listen to the podcast and you want people to listen to it, what should people do? Well, by all means, tell other people about the podcast. We want to keep this real. We want to keep it fluid. Two mates talking about money. I think you reckon I'm the straight guy, so you're going to have to work on your gags, I think. They're not very good, but we'll do what I can. (laughs) I'm only just making fun of myself because I don't know anything about money, really, other than how to earn it. Well, we should talk about that just for a second. You know, what's Rowan's background of money? How did you come to think about money the way you do? Well, um, look, my parents were both uh, school teachers and put us through private school and gave us a great opportunity. And um, I kind of haven't had to really think that hard about money because I've managed to work in jobs that paid relatively well. TV obviously was very good back in the day. So, yes, I haven't really learnt the skills and I, I don't like to think about it. I actually get my partner to do the banking and as long as the ATM works and I can always buy what I need, I don't really mind, which is probably very lazy and makes me uh, a bit of a case study. <laughs> well, only from the point of view, Rowan, that you probably have never been empowered around money and the disempowerment has manifested itself in, don't take this the wrong way, some level of ignorance. I, I don't want to get Did involved. Did you just call me ignorant? <laughs> I, I won't take that the wrong way. I don't want I'm to get, out here, by the way. I don't want to get involved because I don't know it and I may not be smart enough to do it. Or I was just doing other things and I probably was a bit – I don't know. I think when you grow up with – there wasn't scarcity at all. My parents did well in the end. They sort of went from that middle class to doing a bit better than middle class. So they've done well, which is great. But there was always a bit of tension around do we have enough? And I guess I just don't want to think about it. Or I didn't want to think about it anyway. Now I don't sort of – I've never really had to. But things change, I guess. Yeah, it's hard to attract money that counts and money that sticks based on earning a lot, though. There's a bit more to it than that. And that'll be a theme that we'll address time and time again. I've read the the book. You have dealt with it in the book. It's quite revealing, actually. So looking forward to that. And if you enjoyed this episode, please rate our podcast online so that other people can find it when they're looking for it in their podcast directory. And Steve, I'll see you next time. See you next time, Rob. Bye, mate. We hope you enjoyed this episode of the Money Magnet podcast. If you have questions or would like to provide feedback, then please send an email to podcast at moneymagnet.au. Until next time, bye for now.